My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus told his disciples a parable. Can a blind person guide a blind person? Will not both fall into a pit? No disciple is superior to the teacher. But when fully trained, every disciple will be like the teacher. Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own? How can you say to your brother, Brother, let me remove that splinter in your eye, when you did not even notice the wooden beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. Remove the wooden beam from your eye first. Then you will see clearly to remove the splinter in your brother's eye. A good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, nor do they gather grapes from brambles. A good person, out of the store of goodness in his heart, produces good. But an evil person, out of a store of evil, produces evil. For from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. The Gospel of the Lord. A few years ago, a friend of mine was sharing her frustrations with one of her kids, who at that point was in middle school. She explained how they would spend so much time and energy and effort to appear like they were actually doing their homework than actually doing it. That they would go through these elaborate dramatics of pretending to be studying for an upcoming test when they actually weren't. And what was particularly maddening was that since her son wasn't doing well in their classes, they ended up getting a tutor for him. And after about three sessions, the tutor confided confided to the parent that there wasn't any learning disability, there wasn't a problem with the teacher, there wasn't even a difficulty understanding the classwork. For whatever reason, this kid had just gotten it into his head that he had to prove to everyone how hard he was working rather than actually doing the work. It turns out that that phenomenon is not just limited to kids in middle school. You guys probably have been on the website called WikiHow. It describes a, has a in, like intense listing of all the how-to videos and content on a whole bunch of different topics. There's everything from how to fix a toilet to how to like change the oil in your car. Well, someone recently shared how to look busy at work without really trying. At first I thought, like, this has got to be like a Babylon Bee or it's got to be a parody or a joke or something. But no, with that same seriousness that they applied to everything else, there it was, a step-by-step thing with the explanation. You work hard most of the time, but every once in a while, you need to look busy when you're actually slacking off. You don't want your boss to notice that you're watching Netflix or staring out into space. So learn how to slack off at your desk and how to look busy when you leave your desk for a while. And that... All the graphics depicting people doing all their suggestions from everything making your desk look cluttered, calling your office phone from your cell phone, 
having the different tabs on your computer all set up and accessible that you can switch very quickly from whatever it is you're doing to like a work project. They had quite an extensive list and catalog of ideas. But among the questions that came to mind, do people really need a wiki how on how to appear to look like you're working when you're actually not? Or are they actually just that lazy that they don't even want to do that much? (laughs) Working harder to look like you're actually working than actually doing the work. Now, in all honesty, I can relate to these scenes. As a student in middle school and high school, I did find myself like my, my friend's kid. I would waste hours appearing to be studying, so I had my excuse ready for my parents. You saw I was studying all day when I failed that test. And during summer jobs especially, I become a master, I can write my own wiki how. Like, you know, you wanna take the long route back to the office when you're working for the recreation department or in my probably lowest job ever as a telemarketer, which like everybody hates telemarketers and like the feeling's mutual. Like, you know, I know you hate when you get those calls, but I hated making them. So I figured out like you could call myself from one line to the next because I had like the two line phone and pretend like I was sitting on the phone for hours when I'm like just doodling and like whatever, playing tic-tac-toe by myself. Anyway, (laughs) we all probably had these experiences from time to time that, you know, general laziness kicks in or maybe you just need an understandable break here and there. But when it becomes a regular habit or a pattern, it often comes from a place of fear. Fear of appearing ignorant and asking how to do something. Fear of how someone believes they're seen and viewed by others. Fear of how they compare to someone else. Fear that if I actually do what I'm supposed to do, that this might require more change and moving me out of my comfort zone because the expectations might get raised that I have to do more. It's amazing how quickly we can be lulled into mediocrity. And not just in everyday life experiences, whether it's class or work, but even in our spiritual lives. And I think that's one of the things that Jesus is asking us to confront today. For the last three weeks, we've been hearing in the gospel, this gospel of St. Luke, where he's doing the Sermon on the Plain. And the entirety of these three weeks, these three parts, is one sermon. And it's all about pushing us to change our attitudes to move out of our comfort zones in terms of striving for holiness, to reject the mediocrity that could so often creep into our faith lives. Think back, it started with that variation of the Beatitudes three Sundays ago. We're so used to hearing the St. Matthew version, which goes through all the lists of all the people who are blessed, those who by every appearance, the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, the, the persecuted, Those who, using every measure that the world would employ to evaluate, would seem the complete opposite of the word blessed. Well, the central point to the Beatitudes is that Jesus is trying to point out that God's not leveling out punishments on people who find themselves in all those circumstances. Even more, in Jesus becoming one of us and one with us, he emphasizes that God draws ever closer and nearer to the poor and to the weak and to the vulnerable. So more than likely, 
Jesus had repeated this, the same teaching on multiple occasions, not because he didn't have new content, but he just would find different crowds that he would be speaking to. So there would be different variations to different groups of people that he was talking to. So in Matthew, it was just that list of the blessed. And it was shared with the people that were on a mountaintop. St. Luke was recounting what was said on a plane. And it also included this whole set of woes that we heard that seemed to point out to all the opposite of those who were blessed, those who were rich, those who were fulfilled, those who were popular. And again, this wasn't meant to be understood as like a, a Jesus version of karma. And it wasn't about setting up a class warfare thing. And that's why hearing the rest of the sermon these last two weeks was so essential in fleshing this whole point out. Because last week, what did we hear? We continued to hear that sermon and the, the point was about loving our enemies. Where Jesus acknowledges that, that human impulse, the norm of, of loving those who love us and doing good to those who do good to you. Those are normal. But then he has the mic drop moment. He drops this seemingly impossible, or at least in our minds, this radical call to selfless, sacrificial love for those that our gut tells us don't deserve it. And now, today, he completes this trifecta of Sunday Gospels with this warning about hypocrisy, this call to bear good fruit, and that that's something that comes from the fullness of our hearts. What is it that fills our hearts? That's what Jesus is getting at. It's easy for us to get lost in the comparison game and easily tempted by the ways of evaluation of the world. It's easy for us to be lulled into complacency as we do a lot of good things every day. It's easy for us to get tempted into mediocrity as I compare myself to someone else. I'm doing better than that person. Look, I'm at Mass on Sunday night, and it's not even Ash Wednesday yet. And before we know it, we're all doing a lot of things, a lot of little things, and we're looking harder, uh, working harder and harder to look like we're working than actually doing the work that we're called to. And again, I can relate to that. There have been times that I can reflect on how I got complacent in my prayer life or where I allowed myself to get distracted by doing a lot of good and ordinary things as a justification for not zeroing in on where the Lord was calling me to change and to grow and to repent. Where I felt vindicated comparing myself to what others were doing or were not doing. Providentially, we're, we're confronted with this challenge just days before Ash Wednesday and this season of Lent that we're about to begin. We see and hear so much that's wrong around us. The country's divided. The church could be a mess. We look at what was happening in Canada. We look at what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia. The world sees evil unleashed in dramatic ways that we thought were just relegated to history. The lack of peace, the lack of good fruit coming from the collective hearts of vast numbers of peoples and nations is troubling for sure. So that we're here is a good thing. It's a very good thing that we're at Mass. Because the only answer to all these problems is found in Jesus. And it starts with each of us individually. One of the most beautiful moments of this entire Sermon on the Plain is how St. Luke describes Jesus at the very beginning. 
He comes among His people. And Luke makes the point of saying, and raising His eyes towards His disciples. He's looking and speaking at us directly. He's calling each of us personally and intimately. He knows what we're capable of. And He knows our true potential. The potential for each of us in our own unique and diverse and creative ways to bring His light to cast out the darkness. To allow His love to conquer the hatred that's found in a lot of ways closer than all those global headlines. And that all begins when we allow His life to transform ours. When we start to strive for holiness. So I invite you as we're three days out from the season of Lent to to prayerfully think about what you want to do to make this time a time of grace and renewal. Jesus is going to highlight the importance of prayer and fasting and almsgiving in the gospel that we're going to hear Wednesday at one of the masses that we go to. And those have always been characterized as the three pillars for the season of Lent. And we're called to fast, not to think of ourselves as bad children being sent to our rooms without dinner as punishment, but to align our our physical senses and our physical selves with our spiritual one, to freely choose to experience some physical hunger, to remember that Jesus wants to feed our souls, freely choosing an act of sacrifice so every time it annoys us, and it will annoy you, every time it annoys you, to remind us of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us. We're called to prayer, to spend more time when we shut off the voices of the world and intentionally set about time to listen to what the Lord wants to say to us, as well as sharing what's really in our hearts. And we're called to give, meaning being intentional about helping someone in need, someone that has no way of paying us back. Now, there's the minimum basic requirements that all of us as Catholics are asked to do on a regular basis. Like, we're supposed to be fasting from all food an hour before Mass every time we go to Mass. It's like, and also fasting on Ash Wednesday and Good Friday, meaning simply having no more than one meatless meal and two small meatless snacks. And also by fasting from having any meat on Fridays. That's something that all of us as Catholics are meant to do together. But what's something each of us can do in addition? Is there something I want to fast from that's going to maybe change the ordinary, my daily or my weekly routines, that will keep that idea of focusing on those spiritual hungers that Jesus wants to feed, that making a sacrifice that I will keep Jesus' sacrifice front and center throughout the season of Lent. For prayer, as Catholics, we know that the basic obligation is for us to attend Mass every Sunday and to get to confession at least once a year. But how can we make prayer a part of my everyday life and everyday routine this, this Lent? Maybe you're going to combine something like fasting from listening to music or a podcast or something in the car or as you're walking around on campus and You can download that free app that we keep plugging, the the Hallow app, that you get it for free from now through Easter Sunday, which I'll explain at the end of Mass. It has all kinds of prayer and meditation resources that you can listen to. Or there's other free apps that have all kinds of Catholic content. Maybe you're just going to sacrifice your time 
and make it the daily mass during the week. There's countless ways and opportunities that I can start to deepen my personal relationship with the Lord these next 40 days. And then finally, for almsgiving, the minimum obligation is to donate goods or resources to the poor or performing acts of charity to support the church. But every time we perform an act of service, it not only helps others, but it interiorly moves us from our default of of just thinking about myself and my needs to seeing someone else and loving someone else, seeing them as Christ and loving them as Christ. There's a tremendous amount of freedom here, which in some ways makes it more difficult because human nature often looks for the minimum requirements and then looks for the ways to appear like we're doing more than we actually are. But Jesus is putting this before us not because he needs anything, but because he sees us and he knows the potential within each of us whom he created. May we hear his invitation to go beyond mere appearances and not just have a good Lent, but a transformation of our hearts that will bear true and lasting and meaningful and abundant fruit.